want to believe God, the Bible says in Mark 16, 15, that uh, to preach the gospel to all creatures. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he says, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And in James chapter 5, it says, any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and they shall anoint them with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save them, for the right prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and shall heal them and raise them up. Would you, would you ask your daughter to come up, please? Gordon. <coughs> okay. Hi. How you doing? Hi. I'm Don. Nice to meet you. Do you mind if we pray for you? Would you like prayer? Amen. Okay. This guy was coming, and, he, and the Lord just healed him miraculously. So I'm going to ask God to do that miracle for you. And we're going to all join in together. And Cedric, would you come? Don, would you come? Claire, would you come? Ben, uh, some of you elders that, uh, uh, Sister Linda, come on. Larry, Terry, maybe. And let's just pray for her. And what did you say your first name yeah. is? Courtney? Uh, Courtney. This is Courtney. Amen. Fathers, we anoint Courtney with oil, Lord, and she's asked for prayer, God. Lord, we're asking a small thing to you, but a big thing for us, God. And according to your word, Father, you said we would lay hands on the sick and they would recover, God. We know that you're a miracle-working God, and you still are a miracle-working God today. And Father, as I lay my hands upon Courtney's head, Lord, yes. and we all put our hands on her, Lord, right now let your virtue, your healing power, God, go through her body, Father. And I come against Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. You'll not have anything to do with this. All darkness be gone. Yes. Father, I ask you to heal her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, Lord. Touch her body, Father. In Jesus Christ's name, God. Thank you, Lord. You bore our sorrows. You carried our, our, carried our sorrows. And by your stripes, we're healed, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. As we ask you and believe you, God, to touch her right now. In Jesus' name, Lord. Make her whole. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank, thank you now, God, believing that you touched her, Father. Yes, Father. Yes. In Jesus Christ's name. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Would y'all continue to keep Courtney in prayer every day? Absolutely. Uh, we're going to be praying for you every day, Courtney. And we believe in God for a miracle in your life, okay? It's great. While we're here praying, guys, I want you to stay here just a minute. I want to lift somebody else up. My good friend, I know David is okay like he is, and he's, he's thankful. But David Kohler, a good friend of mine on, on there on, on the side. David, would you tell him hello? David? Hello, everyone. This is David, um, David Kohler. And he's a great, great friend of ours. He's a great brother in the Lord. And he's been suffering with some illnesses. And he, he's okay with it. I mean, he's fine. This is what the Lord has for him. But I want to, as my love for David, I want to pray for David. Yes. I want God to touch David. I want a miracle to happen in David. So would y'all pray with me and agree with me in David's life? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I love this brother. He's been such a blessing to me and an encouragement. And Lord, I, I just ask you, Lord, you said the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, God. As we meet together, as we join together, you said what's bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Yes. And Lord, as we speak these words into David's life, God, that you would touch his physical body, God. Make him whole, Lord Jesus. I know you're a miracle-working God. And I ask you to touch my brother, Lord, and heal him, Father. Just as you're doing with my sister here, God, touch him and heal him miraculously, God. It's by faith we reach our hands toward David as laying hands on him. And I ask you that you touch him, Father, and heal him completely. In Jesus Christ's name, do it even now, Lord. 
in Jesus' name. And I rebuke you, Satan, for coming, all darkness coming against yes. my brothers and sisters in this physical realm in Jesus Christ's name. I pull down every stronghold in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. One more. One more? Okay. COPD really, really bad. No, she doesn't. She's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we know all about COPD around here. Uh, praise the Lord. And, and we're going to just uh, pray and ask God to, to fix your lungs. Okay? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Would you like that? Amen. Praise God. Guys, would you pray with me? Put your hands forward. Lay your hands on her. What's your first name again? Teresa. Teresa. Father, we lift up Teresa to you, Lord, right now. She needs a miracle, God, in her life, Father. Would you touch her lung, God? Would you cause her to just breathe freely, Lord, God, and heal her, Lord, God? Thank you, Jesus, of all the miracles you did, Lord, throughout the time you were here and even now, God. Thank you, Jesus, as we ask, Lord, Father. said, you have not because you ask not. We're asking, God, that you touch her body, Father, and that you make her whole, Heal her, Lord, for by your stripes we're healed in Jesus Christ. That's true. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, Teresa. God bless you. We'll keep remembering you each and every day. It's such a pleasure to probably meet somebody that I talk to on tonight that uh, may be upon your heart. It's such a blessing. I want to first of all welcome um, you and, uh, and uh, Cordell and his, wife, and his lovely wife and uh, every, all his lovely children. It's great to see y'all. I see you guys at the shop all the time. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Lord. Uh, what a blessing. And, uh, and I'm sorry, I haven't met you yet. Uh, Shannon. Shannon? Okay, all right. This is one of Cedric's friends, right? Okay, yes. Shannon, it's great to have you with us tonight. What a blessing Thank to have you. all these guests tonight. Amen. And, um, one of, of course, we, we want to welcome Marshall. Marshall, it's great to have you back with us again. Thank Praise the Lord. How you been, man? I've been better, but I'm doing, uh, looking up. Okay, okay, good. Well, we want you to do better. Better tonight, for sure. Amen. What a blessing. Does anybody have uh, something on their hearts tonight that they uh, that they want that they'd like to say? You know, that, uh, 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 maybe something they're a little confused about, or maybe something they need help with that's going on in their lives. That uh, a doc, whether it be a doctrine or a thing that they'd like to they'd like to ask about. Anyone? I'll give you opportunity. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I like that. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those that have come forward, God, for the healing. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the movement of your spirit tonight. I'm going to have a great expectancy, God, of the move, Lord Jesus, to continue, Lord, as we, as we worship you together, Lord, in spirit and in truth, Lord. We love you. We give you thanks, Lord. For you are the victory, God, in our life. In Jesus Christ's name, we give you thanks, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, there was, uh, I want you to turn, if you would, with me to the book of Matthew. 
I'm sorry, loop. I'm sorry, let's change it to loop. Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, if you would. The most important thing in our lives is, excuse me? You need one? Yeah. Okay, good. Got some more. Uh, they downstairs, Don. If you want to get them, right? Jill, Jill, thank you. The most important thing in our lives, at least should be, is being ready to meet the Lord. That's that's the most important thing that we need to know. It's not about how much education. That's not going to uh, the worldly education. That's not what's going to get you to heaven. Those things are important here in this life to learn in this life. But it's not what's going to get you to heaven. It's not how much you, you own or don't own, how much money you have in your pocket. But it's about your life Amen. being lived in Jesus Christ. There was, two, there was two fellas that Jesus was speaking about here. One was name was called Lazarus, and the other man was a rich man. The rich man had basically everything he thought that he needed, and... Uh, he didn't really uh, think about eternal life that much. He just kind of thought about himself and was just thought about how much money he could make, how well he could get, get his position in the world, and, uh, how comfortable he could make himself. And uh, that's what he cared about. But there was another man, and his name was Lazarus. And Lazarus was a poor man. Matter of fact, he had... Uh, kind of sickly, the Bible said that he had balls on him and he laid at the rich man's gate and uh, he laid there and he's balls and sick and, uh, and uh, yet he had joy in him because he had the Lord and he didn't really care about the things of the world, he cared about the things of God and it says it came a day and, and he, would, he would beg uh, for the rich man to give him even the crumbs from under his table but the rich man didn't give much thought to Lazarus. Thought he was more of a nuisance down at the gate and just kind of passed him by and didn't really think much of him. You know, like a lot of people do others, you know, thinking that they don't really amount to much. And they both died, Scripture says. In verse 22 of chapter 16 of Luke, it says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom, Lazarus, is called a beggar. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, the rich man, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So you could think of, Jill, if you get a chance, give me some glasses, some more glasses. My contacts are not getting strong enough. But you could uh, think about Lazarus as, as being hungry, poor, sick. Uh, thank you, Don. Always praying for you. Thank you. <laughs> He'd actually say, hey, there you go. Now I can see it. 
Um, in the wintertime, he probably was cold. He was homeless because he laid at the, at the gate there. He didn't really have anything. But the Bible says that happiness is not as in, in the abundance of the things that we have. But happiness is what's in your heart. Well, they both died. And I want to give you the story. Me talk louder? Okay. Okay. <laughs> and in verse 23 says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So we see that there is going to be a judgment coming. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that every one of us shall stand before God to be judged of everything that we do whether good or bad. No one's going to escape that judgment. And that's a, that's a should be a frightening thought to a lot of people. But people don't want to think about that. They don't want to think about death but it is coming. And they certainly don't want to think about standing before God to be judged for everything that you think you maybe nobody even knew about. But the Lord knows. He said, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 5 and also in Romans chapter 14. So here, here they are. They both have gone to judgment. They're both in different places. The rich man is in a place of torment. He asked Abraham that he sees afar off and he says, would you send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water, a little bit of water, so that he might even touch my tongue? He says, because I'm in torment. I'm in this pain of hell. Yes, there is a literal place that you will go to that is hell that Jesus spoke of. Matter of fact, the Lord says in the book of Matthew chapter 5, he says, fear him not who is able to kill the body, but fear him after he has killed the body has power to cast you into hell. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says, He that overcomes shall inherit all things. But the liar, the whoremonger, the unbelieving, and it makes a long list there. He says, They shall have their part in the lake of fire that shall burn forever and ever. He said, Well, what are you doing? You're going to scare us. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 16 and 6, it says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. That's what causes men to depart from evil. It's good that you have the fear of God in you if you have it. If you don't have it, you need to have it. So that you'll turn from your sin and turn to righteousness before it's too late. Because we want to make sure everybody is ready. But the scriptures define how to be ready for that time that's coming. And we want to talk about that some tonight. But I wanted to, first of all, open this up on these two. So he cries and he asks Lazarus, uh, uh, ask Abraham, send Lazarus to dip that finger so that it can cool me somewhat on the tongue. I'm in torment. So then Abraham says to him, he says, son, remember that you in your lifetime, you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus received evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. And beside all this, brethren, between us and you, there's a great gulf fix. There's a separation there for that they for that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would 
would come from from your place. You can't go back and forth. You can't. He, uh, the Lazarus can't go to you. Then he said, "The rich man says to Lazarus in verse twenty-seven. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, or brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place, this horrible place I'm in." He doesn't want his relatives to end up coming here. So he says, would you send Lazarus? Maybe if he raises, if you're raising from the dead and he goes back and, and they can see that he's been risen from the dead, that they'll believe and they won't come to this terrible place. Because he realized once he was there, what he should have done when he was on earth. But it was too late for him. But he said, maybe it's not too late and maybe my brother, my brothers would listen to Lazarus. Listen to what Abraham says to him. Verse 29. Abraham saith to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. He said, Man, if, if, if they could just see some miracle like that, then, then maybe they would repent. You know one thing that, last, that, 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 last, that the rich man realized while he was in hell? that he should have repented. Because he said, maybe they'll repent. He knew, he understood when he was in hell what it would have took to keep him out of hell. But it was too late. So he didn't want his loved ones to end up coming where he was because he knew it was horrible. That's how we should feel as Christians, as believers. It's first of all, is to feel that, man, I've got to do whatever I can to keep other people from going there because if you... The person that goes is going to tell you, just like Jesus says here, sure enough, it's going to happen. Like, man, I wish I would have done something. I wish I would have told other people to keep them from coming from this horrible place before it's too late. So the revelation that the rich man got was what? That he should have repented. That's the revelation he got. He should have repented, and it would have kept him from going to hell. So that's an important word that he says there when he says there in verse 30 if Abraham went and rose from the dead they will repent but 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 like Abraham said to him he said to him in verse 31 if they hear not Moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead so they won't even be persuaded what's going to take what's it going to take to persuade people before it's too late There's, there's three things, a few things that need to happen. The fear of God. The person needs to come to a place where he realizes he needs to have this. Because there is eternal life. There is an eternity. You weren't created to live and then to die. You were created to live forever. And you can choose that it's your choice which way you want to go. You're going to either spend eternity in hell or you're going to spend eternity in heaven. It's up to you. The important thing for each one of us is to be open in our hearts to what the Lord says and go by what the Lord says. Because a man could think in his mind, well, I, can, I, can, I know I'll get to heaven if I just try to do the best I can. 
if I can just try to do some good things, then I can make it to heaven. Proverbs, 20, Proverbs chapter 24 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is destruction. You know why? Because you've got to do it God's way. He said, many will strive to enter into the kingdom, but will not be able to because they won't do it God's way. You've got to remove all your thinking and say, God, what do, you, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Peter is writing here and he speaks to the people on right after the day of Pentecost, a great group of, of people, and he says this in verse 49 of Acts chapter... No, I need more glasses. Verse 19. No, I don't need any more glasses. I'm just kidding. I'm just saying, I'm calling it verse 19 49. I'm good. <laughs> uh, Acts 3, 19, yes. He says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So he, he's saying to these people, they want to know what they need to do to make it to the kingdom, to make it to heaven. The first thing he says is the same thing the, the, that the rich man said that he realized in hell was to repent. He says, repent. What does repent mean? Change your mind, which your mind is you, right? I mean, you, you do what your mind says, so a change of mind. It's like you can repent of certain things. You know, some people repent of certain things. They change their mind about doing certain things and say, I'm not going to do those things anymore. Amen. For instance, uh, John and I was talking to him, and, 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 and he talked about he basically repented from smoking. He realized that smoking was bad for him. And so he said, you know what? I'm not going to smoke anymore. And he took whatever steps were necessary to stop smoking because he had a change of mind. Right. And he wasn't going to do that anymore. And he took the necessary steps to accomplish what his mind had changed in doing. And so he don't smoke no more. Okay? So a change of mind is I'm not going to live like that anymore. Yes. I'm not going to walk in sin anymore. Repent is a change of mind, just not from one sin, but from all sin, is what he talks about here. In Luke chapter 13, if you'll turn there, to show what Jesus said to them, it says this in Luke 13. And in verse 3, Jesus is speaking in verse 3 of chapter 13 of Luke. He says, I tell you, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. And you don't need a big revelation to understand that. He's saying, if you don't repent, you're not going to make it. And he goes down in verse 5 and says the same thing. I tell you, no, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Repentance is necessary to have for salvation. Look at the book of Acts again, chapter 20, 20, chapter 26, 
verse uh, 20, he, uh, Paul is talking to Agrippa here. And Paul was saying, I was, I was not disobedient to the heavenly calling, to the heavenly vision that I saw. You remember when he was on the road to Damascus. And he says in verse 20, but showed first unto them at, of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do the works meet for repentance, worthy of repentance. That means that you're showing that you're truly repenting, that you're not doing what you used to do, that you're a different person, that you're doing those things. So he says, and, and, and really, and remember when um, a lot of you remember John the Baptist. Who remember John the Baptist? Everybody remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist came preaching to prepare the way of the Lord, right? Uh, everybody remembers John. He got his head cut off, right? Because he was sharing with Herod that he needed to send his, his wife back uh, to his brother because he stole his wife from his brother and was committing adultery. And he got his head cut off because he told him the truth. Sometimes you tell the truth, somebody you get your head cut off. And John the Baptist... Uh, uh, he was baptized in the wilderness. And when he was baptized, one time he had some uh, people come to him and they wanted to get baptized. And, Peter, and, and uh, John the Baptist says to him, he says, you generation vipers, yeah. you're coming to me. He says, but you need to bring forth fruits of repentance before I baptize you. He says, don't come to get baptized. Don't, you don't, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to get baptized. That's going to get me to heaven. He said, no, you don't get baptized until there's fruits of repentance, until there's a change in your life. See, the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 121, it says that Jesus came to save you from your sin, not in your sin. The right. Bible says in, in Titus chapter 2, he said he has given the grace of God that appears to all men, he's given everybody grace to walk in that, to teach you to deny ungodliness, all worldly lust, and all sin. In John chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, He is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He gives man that ability to turn from their sin. Just like you made a choice to sin, you must make a choice not to sin anymore, to turn from it and not walk in that direction any longer. And that's what God calls us to do. It's a matter of fact, and I know a lot of you know the scripture here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 10, it says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, and repentance to what? Salvation, Salvation not to be repented of. So the first thing that has to take place in our hearts in order to be ready to meet God is there has to be a godly sorrow to understand that you have failed God, to understand that you have sinned. And if you sin one sin, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27 says, nothing defiled shall enter the kingdom of God, shall make it into heaven. So it is necessary that we walk in obedience. The scripture says in Hebrews 5, 9, it says that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Obedience is necessary. In Hebrews chapter, chapter uh, 12, it says that without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. You want to make it? You want to make it to the kingdom of God? You don't want to end up like the rich man. You need to take heed to the words, not my words. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Now today in this age, a lot of people will tell you all you need to do 
is you just need to trust Jesus. Amen. You just need to believe in the finished work of the cross. And when you do that and you ask God to forgive you and you come to the altar and you do these certain things that, that you're saved then. That is a deception of the enemy. I'm sorry to tell you. People are told that they're saved then. They're not saved then. Without repentance, you cannot have salvation. There must be a turning from where you from the way you used to live to the way that to the way of, of the where the word of God says to walk. And the scripture is very, very clear on that to show us how to walk in Him. But the scripture says that godly sorrow of brokenness. Broken and contrite spirit of whom no eyes cast out right. James 4 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The man has to humble himself, say, Lord, I. I messed up. I didn't do it your way. I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me, but not just forgive me. I'm going to quit doing them. I'm leaving that way of life. I'm walking in your righteousness, in righteousness, Lord, in holiness for the rest of my days. And then once that happens, then salvation comes. What's taught today is that you come forward in your sin, and then you'll eventually get, get rid of your sin, but nobody ever does. They always keep sinning. When the Bible says that, and 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, awake to righteousness and quit sinning. That wasn't a suggestion. That wasn't something that you was talking about. That's something that's necessary. Yes, Ben? I was going to share 1 John 1, 6. We claim that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness. We lie and do not live out the truth. I know that's a different version, but it kind of goes along with we have darkness going on, we are not serving the Lord. And, and, and let's, let's, let's expand on that, Ben. Okay, he says, if, if, we, if we say we walk in the light, what is light? Okay? Light is righteousness. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. The light of the world is righteousness. It's no sin, right? Yeah. But if we say that we walk in the light, say I say I'm a Christian, okay? Darkness. But yet I'm walking still in some darkness. Then what am I doing? According to what he just said. You're lying if the truth's not in you. That's right. So the important thing is to turn from walking in darkness to walking in the light. Okay? So the godly sorrow first. What comes next? Repentance. Turning from your sin. Then what comes? Salvation, right? And salvation, not to be repented of. That means you don't repent and go back. Repent and come back. once. So it's, it's like a true repentance of stopping sin in your life. The scripture says in, in uh, the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, let everyone that, that calls himself a Christian quit sinning. Stop. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says that he that covers his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesses and forsakes it shall be shown mercy. So there's a confession and there's a forsaking of the sin. You, you leave in that sin, that's, called, that's the same thing as repentance. Like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, here's the, here's the real test here now. This is how you know if you're in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he, is a, or he or she is a new creature. Old things are past, and all things have become new. Not just, well, you know, he was doing drugs, he comes forward, he accepts the Lord, he quits doing drugs. But then he's still looking at pornography. 
If he's guilty in one point, it'll always guilty of it all. It's all got to go. It's got to stop in his life in order for him to truly have salvation. Now, let me, let's, let's back up just a little bit now. Some people will say, well, I just need God to do it for me. I can't quit doing that. I just need, need that to happen. Uh, Wes, you, you got something you want to say? This is Wesley. Yeah. Hey, how's everybody doing? So in, uh, in, let's just go over to uh, Matthew chapter 5. And, uh, I mean, if we just look at the teachings of Christ, I think it really clears a lot of the deception and a lot of uh, false teaching. You know, you just look at the words of Jesus, and it really makes everything clear. And that's how we should interpret the rest of the scriptures is, what did Jesus teach? You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, if everybody's there. If some of y'all want says, to come from over there and you want to see, you can come here and sit down right here if you'd like. Anybody wants to be able to see <laughs> Wes's pretty face. <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. So this is the whole chapter where Jesus is really bringing the law down to the heart of every person. You know, he's saying, you said that, you know, this is what it was said in Torah or the law, but I say. So this is like Jesus defining the law that's supposed to be written on everybody's heart. Verse 28, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. So here we see Jesus from verses 27 through 30. He's saying, if you don't cut sin out of your life, and you know you're going to try to, in, you're not going to be able to enter into heaven. He's saying you have to cut sin out of your life. I know some people will say, well, this is a hyperbole or hyperbole, but the reality is, is Jesus is not exaggerating in any way here. He's saying unless you pluck out the evil eye, unless you cut off the evil hand, you're in danger of hellfire. And so there's no wiggle room. There's no way around. Somebody has to repent, you know, and really. Uh, you know, this is what Jesus taught. So, I mean, it's really simple. Just look at it. So anybody that teaches otherwise and says, hey, you don't, repentance is not necessary. Repentance is just a change of mind, you know, but if you just confess Jesus as Lord, you know, you're a believer and therefore, you know, the judgment isn't for you. Is that what Jesus taught here in Matthew chapter five, verses 27 through 30? Jesus taught, if you don't cut it out of your life, you're not going to go to heaven. So it's that simple. While you're that close, and, and I'm just going to touch on this a bit, but while you're that clear, close, if you look at Matthew chapter 7, and I'm just going to talk about that just a little bit. I know a lot of you have heard that over and over again, but for the sake of those that are new here today, we talked about Lazarus and the rich man. Okay, We talked about the rich man, what he understood while he was in hell, what would have kept him out of hell because he wanted that to be told to his brothers, his brethren, to keep them out. 
Now, there's another group of people here in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus starts off in Matthew chapter 7, and he starts off and he talks about a, a, a broad way and a narrow way. He talks about there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and many are going to go that way. Most are going to go that way. But he said there's a narrow way and straight that leads to life, but he said few there be that find it. Okay, first of all, I want to make an illustration. Let's just say that eternity is from this wall to that wall. Okay, that's the measurement of eternity. Okay, let's say if we're going to measure that, eternity what? You, you can't really measure it, so I'm just giving this as, a, as an example. You can't measure it because eternity just goes on and on and on and on and on. And so you're going to spend eternity one, one place or the other. But here on earth, you may spend maybe 80, 85, 90 years, maybe 100 if you get at best case, right? So if I was to mark off 80 to 100 years off of time, and I'm starting over there on eternity, where would I be at in this scope of time? I'd still be over here, wouldn't I? Like a guy. Right? You'd still be at the beginning. So what you're saying is, you know what, I don't really, I'm not going to really bother about this eternal stuff and about really making it to heaven. I'm just going to live my life the way I want. You're going to trade all of this eternity for that little bitty space over there that you're going to live. Does that make any sense? What do you have to be? You have to be stupid, right? Like you know better and you're still not going to do anything about it. Or you're going to think, well, I'm just going to do it the way I think to do it. Man, I'm going to pay attention to this. That's why the scripture says David, uh, like, like Job said, Job is a righteous man, a perfect man, the Bible says. And Job says, I esteem his word more than my necessary food. That's how important it was for him to know, uh, to know what the word of God said so he make it. David said, he said, it's like a hidden treasure that a man finds and rejoices over there. He said, it's like a treasure that you look for all your life and you find it. This is a treasure here, he said. The Lord says, I've esteemed my word more than even my name. David says, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my hand. The word shows you it's your guide to eternal life. Here, So how important it is to have this. So we looked at this span of time, and we looked at trading it all for 80, 100 years. That'd be crazy to do that, right? But here he goes. He says, this is what man is doing. He's got this over here. He's got this length of time. But what he's doing is mankind in, in, in the religious world, they're trying to broaden the gate to get in. You see, they're trying to say, listen, you can get in without stopping sin. The best you can do is you're going to fail. All you really need to do is just ask Jesus to come in your heart, ask to forgive your sin, and you can still have some sin in your life and make it to heaven. What is that doing? They're trying to widen the gate. But Jesus said how to get through that gate, it's going to be narrow. It's going to be few because most people are not going to want to live that way. They're going to want to live for themselves. They're going to want to do what they want to do. They're not going to want to believe the truth. And let me tell you something. As Jesus went on and he spoke here, he, he goes on and he talks about a group of people here. Look what he said. Look at verse, um, verse 20, 21. He says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Who's going to make it into heaven? According to that scripture. He that does the will of the Father. 
Now, the will of the Father is to hear his word, the Bible says, and do it, he says in another place. So not everyone's going to make it that says, oh, what's, what's saying, Lord, Lord? I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Is that going to make it into heaven? No. It's doing his will is what's going to make it into heaven, right? Am I reading that right? Is that correct? All right, let's go a little further and see what he says. For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works. What does that sound like? That sounds like people today. Look what we're doing. We're doing all these wonderful things. We're casting out devils. We're prophesying. We're going on mission fields. We're doing all these things. But he said, what, what does he say? He said they're going to say that. Wow, they're going to be in, they're going to be in hell saying that? Lord, we, we, look what we did. People are shocked. And what did Jesus say to them? Very important. Look at verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, you workers of sin, of iniquity. I didn't know you. But we were doing all these things. Lord, Lord, look what we've done. He said, I don't know you. Well, let me tell you about another group of people that knew the Lord. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, I'm the door. <laughs> I'm the way into the kingdom of heaven. He says in, verse, in, in John 14 and 7, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, is what Jesus said. He said, I'm the only way. He said, I am the chief shepherd. And, you, and he says, those that follow me are my sheep. And you know what he said about the sheep? You want to be a sheep? How many people want to be a sheep? Everybody want to be a sheep? Or maybe you want to be a goat. Anybody want to be a goat? Don't want to be no goat because a goat don't make it, right? Goat eats, it. Goat, goat eats anything. Nah. Yeah. He'll eat anything, any kind of doctrine, anything you want to say. And we got a lot of goats that just, preacher says, they just eat it. They don't look at the word. They just eat whatever he says. You got to look, search the word. So search the scripture for him. Then you find life. You got to know. You got to study yourself approved. And stay in the word of God. Not reading all these other books trying to get all this knowledge stuff and trying to learn all these things. Man, you, you're going to face eternity. Get, read the most important thing. Know it. Because that's your eternity you're talking about, you're messing with. Get, get that soul right with God. Jesus said, I didn't know you. But there's one, he says, my sheep, Jesus, my sheep hear my voice. Yeah. Amen. Do you hear the voice of the Lord? Let me tell you something. It says, a stranger's voice, they will not follow. Some people, they get a voice in their head, they just do whatever that voice says. When I, before, my whole life, that's what I did. Something come in my head, I just did it. Yeah. I just did whatever came in my head. But he said, my, a stranger's voice, they will not follow. If you don't follow a stranger's voice, you'll never sin. Because the stranger's voice says, and he comes in the first person in the present tense like he's new. He don't say, why don't you do this? He says, he gives you an emotion. He says, I want that drug. He gives you an emotion of wanting it. I want that woman. I want that adulterous affair. I want to look at that pornography. And you feel it and you, and you sense it. See, that's how the enemy comes. That's the stranger's voice. Don't listen to the stranger's voice. I want that cigarette. I want that whatever it might be. He said, my sheep hear my voice. 
a stranger's voice, they will not follow. And I, and I know them, and they know me. Hallelujah. You won't be told in that last day, depart from me. I didn't know you, because you know them. And they'll know you. But what's required? That you hear his voice. What's his voice? Luke, what, what is it, Luke 6.49? He says this. 646. 646. He healed up here. He says, he says this. He says, why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? Why? Why, why don't you be a sheep and hear his voice and do what he says? That's the way to enter in. See, that's the narrow way. That's the straight path to do what God says to do. My sheep hear my voice and a stranger's voice they will not follow. Praise the Lord. Can I add something to your analogy of uh, eternal life? Um, the word says that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you don't actually trade that 90, that 90 years plus if you're lucky for eternity. You get eternity. You get eternity. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. but it's where you're going to spend it. And uh, the fear of the Lord ought to tell you at least that if you don't go to heaven, uh, the alternative is uh, the absence of God. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. Right. It's your choice. You get eternity. Yeah. It won't be eternal, eternal life. It'll be eternal death. Uh, um, I want to go to one other scripture. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Does anybody have any comments? Welcome, my good and faithful servant, to yeah. eternal life. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more heartbreak. Eternity with our Lord in heaven's bliss. What a blessing. Okay, so Ephesians 4. And let's go to uh, verse 21. Thank you, Lord. It says, If so be that ye have heard him, speaking of Christ, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, we saw some of the words of Jesus taught. He says that you put off concerning the former way of living, the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to his deceitful desires. I want to emphasize the old man there. Who is the old man? Now, the, re the religious world will tell you the old man is some sort of uh, Adam nature or original sin or sin nature that you receive from Adam. Let me first of all clarify, you did not receive a sin nature from Adam. And this may be really new to you, being that every single seminary and Bible college that I know of in the world teaches that you have. It's not true. It's not taught in the scriptures. It's a lie from the pit of, heaven, pit of hell to keep you in sin. The first lie that was told to, to mankind was the lie that Eve told that, that the devil told to Eve. 
the devil told Eve that you can eat of the fruit of the tree and you will not die. When God had commanded them not to eat the fruit of the tree, right? It was a lie. The devil told her you won't die and it's good, good to the taste, it looks good to the eyes and she ate it and she died. They died physically and, that was, and, and, was, and they were doomed. That was it. The mankind today is telling you the same thing. Same thing that the devil told Eve back then. You can sin and you won't go to hell. You won't die. It's a lie from the beginning. It's the same lie today. In the beginning, Adam and Eve had a choice. God told Adam and Eve, he says, especially Adam, he says, Adam, he says, if you'll obey me and, do, and not eat that fruit of the tree, I'll give you all this. All the blessedness of the garden. He was going to live forever. He had a body that was going to go on and on at that time and live in the garden of Eden and have all those things. Told him the benefits of listening to him and believing him. The devil came and also told him that, hey, you can eat this fruit and you're going to be blessed, the devil said, but he was lying, wasn't he? But the choice was up to who? They didn't have a sin nature. Neither do you. The choice was up to him, that's up to them, just like it is today to mankind. The choice is up to you. Now this scripture that we're reading here now, to put off concerning the former way of living, the old man, the old man simply means your, your, the old way you used to live, the old self, living in selfishness. That's what you put away. You put away serving this thing, of doing what this thing wants, the passions and desires of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, you may want to jot down, it says that those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections, the passions, and the lust thereof. If you're in Christ, you've already crucified that. If you haven't done that, you're still sinning, you need to come to Christ the right way. You need to totally repent of your sin. Galatians 5.24. You need to turn from them. And I say this in all kindness to you because I care about your soul. You may have been told all your life, you got this sin nature, you're going to sin till the day you die. That's a lie. The scripture proves otherwise and speaks otherwise. God wants you to live in victory. He said, he that, who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? He wants you to be an overcomer. It's necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven that you, that you do overcome. But mankind has put here that, you, that this old man is a sin nature and it's nowhere in scripture. It never was even around until 325 AD when a man named Augustine came up with this doctrine in the Catholic Church and said that you were born with a sin nature from Adam. Adam's sin was passed on to you. Therefore, you were born in sin. And that if, that's why the Catholics baptized the Christian children when they, were very, when they were just babies, thinking that they would get rid of the original sin because if the baby died with original sin, the baby would go to hell. How ridiculous is that? But that's what the doctrine proves because if it's born in sin, sin can't go to heaven. Therefore, the baby would go to hell. This is a doctrine that is great error in the modern day church today that's sending many, many people to hell. And I don't want that to happen to you. You are responsible for your own actions. You can't blame it on Adam. You can't blame it on your father, your mother, or anyone else. You are responsible to make that choice. What about the ones who 
Okay, let's, we'll, we'll take that. Let me, let me finish this one and we'll, and we'll go to that. That's a good question, very good question. Um, but here it says that you put off concerning the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You don't even think the same anymore. You don't have those old desires anymore. Your, your whole life has changed, but you put on your man, which, is, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So then you're living in righteousness and true holiness. What is righteousness? Being blameless, not, li not living in sin. Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, um, to answer the question about, like, for those that just think that you have to believe in Jesus Christ or trust in Jesus, and then you just go from there. So a lot of people think there's no way that I can turn from my sin. I have to be saved in my sin, and then eventually the cleanup happens later. But like what Don said earlier, in the church, the cleanup never happened. So it's this ongoing sanctification this thing from the best cycle um, that just really no never really truly repents in their heart. Um, and go over to James chapter 1, verse 21. This will tie in with 2 Corinthians you know, chapter 7. Um, like what Don said, you know, he's talking about Acts chapter 3, verse 19, repent, be converted. Repentance must precede conversion. Just like Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse ten: Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. So one must repent before they actually are saved. So James chapter one, verse twenty-one shows this exact same concept. And this is to answer the question of: Do you just believe in Jesus, and then later on the cleanup happens, or do you have? To, does the cleanup have to happen first? At least you turning from all known sin before salvation happens. And, and the scriptures say the cleanup happens. And James chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. See how it says that you can go ahead and underline, highlight, uh, you know, what is able to save your soul. So, if your soul is not saved yet, what happens first? You've got to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, right? That's how scripture speaks. Now jump over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because this is really going to answer. A lot of people just think that we're justified by faith. But if you really know what faith is and what belief is, you, like John, John chapter 3, verse 36 Oh, you're frozen. Okay, there you go. He that obey the Son shall not see life, as wrath God abides upon him. So there has to be an obedience, you know, before you can see life. Let me so let me repeat what you said. Oh, Wes, let me repeat what he just said. In, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, I want you to look at it. It's important that you see that there because uh, it, it, really, it really shows what belief is. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2 of, of verse 3. I'm going to give it right back to you, Wes. Look what it says. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Okay? You got that? But unto them which be disobedient. So there's a difference in, in the person that's believing 
And then there's the other person that's disobedient. The person that's believing isn't disobedient because he names him as another person. Do you understand what he's saying there? You see the difference? That there's one, he says, unto you which believe, he's precious. But to the disobedient, he's the same, he's the, 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 um, the stone which the builders rejected. So you see what he's saying. He's saying either you're, if you're believing, you're not disobedient. You're obedient. Got it? Okay, Wes. Yeah, just back up to verse 1 in the same chapter. First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 1, tying in with James chapter 1, verse 21. It says, therefore, laying aside all malice. So all means all. All malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And, what, and go ahead and underline this, starting at verse 2. As newborn babes. So this isn't a mature believer. This isn't somebody that they would say, well, the sanctification happens way later. You can't do all this. Well, he's saying as newborn believers, uh, babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed that you've tasted the Lord is gracious. So all this happened, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. That's as a newborn believer. That's a newborn babe. You know, just like it said, that's, you know, you do that in James. Um, ben quoted this portion of scripture last week, but I think it's rethinking just so that if there's any confusion. Uh, out of 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. So that's our job is to come to God and lay this all aside, lay all known sin aside. And because there's no sin nature, like John's trying to reiterate, and there's no endemic nature that, hey, you know what, we just, we need God to, you know, make its will and override our will because we're unwilling, then that would mean we could, could stand before God and just say, hey, you know what, God, you made me this way. So therefore, I have, you know, unless you actually change my will or tweak my will to make me willing, I'm just going to be a sinner. I'm just going to sin and thought, word, and deed until I die. And we know that not to be true because the entire Old Testament and all the things throughout the Bible where God brought judgment on people, he would be an evil tyrant. He would be a monster, you know? And so we know that God's just, and if God's just, then he's given us the ability to turn from at least anything that we know to be evil within ourselves to show that we're really remorseful, we're really penitent. And at that point, his word can take root and good and on his heart, and that's all he asks for. So, so to answer the question, if you believe in somebody, if I believe that, you know, um, if, if Don were my boss or if somebody were my boss and I believe in them, then I'm gonna show up to work. I'm gonna do the best that I can as his employer because I believe. So belief, just a conceptual belief that Jesus is Lord, he has to be Lord of your life and action or you don't actually believe. It's really simple. But they've confused it. Why? Because it draws in the masses. It gets everybody to come to their church and they're not going to have the person put a $20 in their offering plate. That's why they don't speak the truth. It's real simple. <laughs> they would have to shut down their electricity in their building. 
Actually, Linda, if you look at the verse and, and to righteousness that he's walking, that it causes him to come to the place where he's not sin anymore, that belief has to be a deep belief. It's not just believing. Like James says, the devils believe and tremble. That's not the belief that he's talking about. He's talking about uh, actually a belief means fidelity and faithfulness is what it actually means in the Greek, that, you, that you're faithful to the Lord and walking in all of, what, in all of his commandments. The scripture says in John chapter 14 and verse 23, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If, if I love the Lord, what are you going to do? You're going to be doing his commandments. He says, for if, if he that says that he loves me and he says and keeps not, commandment, not my commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I and my father will come and make our abode in you. And that's the promise of God. But he also said in, in, in John, that was in John uh, chapter 14. And if you go to John chapter 15, I think it's what verse 16, Don, where it says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Yeah, so, so this obedience is necessary. What's been told a lot is been told that, oh, well, you're not on the law. You don't have to do these things. That's not the truth. Listen to me. Hold on just a second. I'll be right with you. Listen to me. Jesus spoke. If you'll read the, five, the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll read about the commands of Jesus of what he said. He made it very, very clear. The rich young ruler came to him asking, what do I need to go to heaven? He says, and, and, and Jesus says, you know the commandments. Why did he say you know the commandments? What difference did that make? Because they have to be done. And the man said, okay, I've done all these commandments. And he says, and, and, he, and, and the Lord told him, he says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Well, the rich man, he was a rich guy. He walked away sorrowfully. He, he, he wouldn't do it. He, but he only lacked one thing. Why? Because that was necessary for him to enter Another rich, another lawyer came to Jesus. What do I need to go to, to do to go to heaven? These are things that you need to pay attention to because he's talking to people that are asking him, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And Jesus says, well, you know the, the law. A lot of people today would say, what does the law have to do with it? All you need to do is just come forward and accept the Lord. That's not what Jesus said. Why are we tearing down and forgetting about what Jesus said and going and listening to some man telling us, how they twisted, might be twisting what they're thinking and, and, and on, some other, on some other level and, and messing mess with your mind. Do what Jesus said, like Don quoted. Why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? Do what he says. A wise man, the Bible says, is he who hears my word and who does it. Now listen to me. John was the last disciple living. Paul and all the disciples had been martyred. He was the last one living and he wrote the book of Revelation, Right? Now, when he wrote the book of Revelation, the only reason he was able to write it from what the Fox's Book of Mortis say, when they went to try to kill him, the, 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 they say that they threw him in some oil and he didn't die. So they took him and they put him on this island called the Isle of Patmos, which he was basically all alone on this island, and he began to re receive the book of Revelation from the Lord. And when he was there, the Lord said, I want you to write to seven churches, didn't he? And he wrote to these seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. And what did he say? He reiterated what he said in the four Gospels to the seven churches. He said, if you do these things that I command you to do, he says, then, then I, I will give you life. You'll, I'll give you the crown of glory. I'll, I'll, I'll do all these things for you. But if you don't do them, I'm going to remove your name from the Lamb's Book of Life. You're not going to make it. 
He even came back in Revelation chapter 21. It says if you, if you, if you commit all these sins, these particular sins, any of these sins, you're not going to enter. You're going to spend eternity in hell. So why are we eliminating the, the teachings of Jesus Christ? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8 says this. The, the, the Thessalonians were being, going through heavy persecution, and Paul wrote him a letter. He said, I know you guys are going through really troubles, but God's going to reward those that are giving you this trouble. He said he's coming back in flaming vengeance on those that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul comes back and writes that again. You must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so simple. But mankind has twisted it around. I've also heard pastors preach. We don't live in the Old Testament. We can't. That's why Jesus went to the cross. For our sins. So we live in the New Testament. Love covers everything. So we don't have to follow the law because we couldn't follow the law. Which I've always thought that's a crime because the law is easy. <laughs> that's good, Linda. <laughs> I, I mean, I hate to say it that way, but that's that's what I've always thought. Linda, so first of all, first of all, we talked about what Jesus said. The law in the New Testament. He says to follow the law. Okay, what is it? What's it? Okay, let's first of all, what is in the law? Thou shalt not murder. Does that mean you can go murder? No. Thou shalt not steal. Does that mean you can go steal? No. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. Does that mean you can cover, cover your neighbor's wife? Thou shalt no. not commit adultery. Does that mean you can go commit adultery? It's all the things exactly. they said. You're not, not under the law. What do you, you think? You can go do those things and be okay? Like we just said. Okay, the, the love things, Linda. The love thing is what we just quoted in John 14, 23. Jesus said, Jesus said this. And I think Jesus knew what he was talking about. He said, if you love me, right. you'll keep my commandments. Exactly. If love is not something, well, I just feel this passion for the Lord. And I, I, I have this feeling of love. No, that, the love that the Lord is talking about is a much deeper love that causes you to actually act upon that love that right. he's talking about there. To walk in that obedience that he calls you to, calls you to walk in to obey what he said. And so that... You're right, they, they use that as an excuse to come from it. I want to also mention in one other place, Don, in, in Romans 6.6, 6, it says, knowing this, uh, knowing this, that, that the old man has been crucified with him, that we henceforth should not serve sin. That old man there too, Don, is the same thing. If you look at the Bible, it says old self, the person you used to be. It does not mean old man like a, a Adam sin nature. It, does, it has nothing to do with that. When you start in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So that person has been regenerated. He's, been, he's, he's dead in Christ as being a new creature. Like in Colossians 3, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So when you follow that through in Romans 6, it's the same thing. The old man is just the old self. So when you destroy the thing that sin nature is not there, then what happens? You can't blame it on anybody anymore. You have to take responsible for your own, responsibility for your own actions. If you're sinning, you're not going to make it. If, you look, if, if you're doing those things that are there, you can't. But if you repent of your sin. Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, it says, we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So when that's part of that repentance. It has to be a confession. Remember we read in Proverbs 28, 13, he who confesses and forsakes his sin shall be shown mercy. That's what he does. Go ahead. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the Lord, the Lord talks about, uh, he talks about coming out from among them and being separate. He says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, many of us have learned that, that when you come in Christ, you, you can't continue to, or you don't want to continue to hang out like, say, if you came through drugs, you don't want to hang out with, with drug addicts, right? Because, because they'll have an influence on you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, that bad company corrupts good morals. So you don't want to hang out with that. You want to hang out with people that love the Lord. He says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Or what fellowship does a believer have with an unbeliever? Now, if you're married to an unbeliever, that's different, you know, because you're in that and you want to show your life to them by what you're doing. Or if you, but we are to fellowship in a way of witnessing and sharing with them, but we don't hang out with them. And he said, the Lord says that if you'll come out from among them and be separate, the Lord said, he makes a promise. He said, if you'll do that, he said, I will be your father, and you shall be my sons and daughters. And he says, he says, having therefore these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So he's, he's saying for you to do something. If you want those promises, then cleanse yourself from all defilement. You do that. You're not waiting on God to do it. You're not waiting on your father to do that. You're to do that. You're to come out from among them. You're to cleanse yourself from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Then you get the promises of God. What are the promises of God? That God is with you and he's walking with you all the time and he's living in you, that you have eternal life and you go to bed at night and you know you're going to heaven. There's many, many wonderful promises that God gives us in the word and he gives you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He gives you a peace that passes all understanding. He gives you joy that no man can take away. These are all the promises of God. To have that inside of you, all hell can be going on the outside and you're at peace on the inside because you've got Christ living in you. This is what eternal life is about. And you have that eternal life as you walk today. Wes? Oh, wait, wait a minute. Wes. Larry? Actually, uh, I'm okay. You okay now? Okay. It, what, it got covered? Well, yeah. I mean, what, what I was going to talk, uh, talk about was uh, uh, 1 John chapter 1. No, chapter 3, 9. Okay, chapter 3, verse 9 says, He that who is born of God does not commit sin. For God's seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So, so that's true. In the present, you can't even sin. You don't want to sin. You, you can't sin because you're living for God. You're loving God. So you're in the keeping place of, of the Lord. Once you come, okay, God calls you to repent. Repentance is something that you must do. God's not going to repent for you. You must turn from your sin. But once you come to God and receive salvation, then you be begin to walk in with the power of God in your life. And that's one of the promises we talked about, that God's power is with you. And he says, to him who is able to keep me from falling and present me before his presence with great joy. Uh, faithful is he who called you who also will do, do it. Uh, you know, all these promises of the power of God working in your life, once you turn from your sin and come to the Lord, you receive the promises of God that God gives you. Wes? 
Yeah, there's a there's a great confidence that comes uh, in conversion, and it, it you know it goes from monogism, you know, like we're saying, repentance is uh, Proverbs chapter sixteen verse one says the preparation of the heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And uh, the scripture that you quoted from Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from sin. But it further goes on to say, and this is kind of some of the, the benefits of somebody that truly repents. Verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, so this is the same kind of concept, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor. So then you become a vessel of honor, you're sanctified and you're useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So those are some of the benefits. You become sanctified, you become a vessel of honor, and you become prepared for every good work then all your works are done in Christ and in God, and they're alive, they're, they're, they're meaningful, you know? So there are, there, there, you know, you have a confidence, and the Bible says, cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. So you have this cleanness, this purity of heart, and, and that is the most fulfilling thing that anybody can attain, because that's what Christ paid for. Amen. That's what his blood is there for. Is so that we can have this cleansing and this purity and be the light and the salt. Uh, that the world is, they're striving for this, looking for this, they're looking for this fulfillment and vacations and, you know, whatever football team that they're idolizing, whatever movie star, you know, whatever they're striving after in life, they're trying to find fulfillment, but you can only find this fulfillment in Christ. Amen. Uh, you, you know, one thing that's also important is that when you do come to the Lord and you turn from your sin and he, and he forgives your sin, which is the greatest thing, because all that you did in the past, it's as though you never did it. I mean, he cleans you up that much that you're so clean at that point that you are the, you are the purity of God. It's as, it's as though you had never done it. And so when you go to judgment... It's going to be like there's nothing there from the past because you're a saint of God then and you can walk further in the great goodness of God. Okay, Larry? Larry, uh, I want to touch on this here. I had talked to you last Wednesday about this, or Wednesday or Thursday about this. I uh, was listening on YouTube and it was a preacher, a, a Protestant teacher, and he was on there saying that you are covered by, uh, when, you, when you come to the Lord, you're forgiven all your past sins and your present and your future sins, all of them. And he said uh, that we don't wake up, what he was saying was we don't wake up in the morning thinking we're going to sin, but we fall into sin. And, and what he was using, it was 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, and if we, say, and if, and if we say that we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. But he, I, I called Pastor Don about that shortly after that. And he, I mean, I had already studied a little bit, but uh, he clarified it, and I'd like to see Actually, that scripture reads differently than what it is. That word no and not is exactly the same Greek word. is O-U, which means not. 
So when he's saying if we say that we have no sin, actually means that if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves in the truth. And it's just like verse 10 is the same thing. If we say that we have not sinned, we, just, we, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we all have sinned in our past. But the Lord wants us to go forward and ask forgiveness, turn from our sin and repentance and walk in the Lord. Just like it says in the, in the next verse, which is really no chapter of the Greek, which is chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing to you that you don't sin. And first of all, Larry, if you take verse 9, he says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's just say that you had sin in your life, and I came to you and I shared that with you, Larry. And then I asked you, after you prayed that prayer, and you confessed your sin to God, and you asked him to forgive you, and he says that he cleansed you. And I asked you right after that, and I said, Larry, do you have any sin? What would you tell me? I would say no. You would yeah. say no because you believe the passage. Well, you just, if that other scripture meant that, you would have just crossed out that yeah. scripture and disobeyed that scripture. But also, like Ben brought out earlier, the scripture before that in verse 6 was saying, if we say that we walk in the light and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth, Right? So he's saying that it's all along the same thing. Then if you go in verse 4 of chapter 2, he says it again. If I, he that says, I know him, he keeps not his commandments, is a liar and the truth's not in him. So we see that all over. If you go through the book of 1 John, it's the same thing. If you say, if you say you're right and you're, not, and you're not living in it, you're lying. Yeah. You know, you have to be keeping the commandments of God. Don? What does uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 25 say? 1525? Yeah. Which one is that one? Awake to righteousness. Oh, 1534. Sin, no. <laughs> yes, 15. Awake to righteousness and quit sinning. Yeah, so, so we have the Bible, Scripture interprets Scripture. And all over the Word of God, we see Jesus saying, Stop sinning. Stop. Isaiah chapter 1 says the same thing. He said, If you be willing and obedient, I will, I will bless you. But if not, if you continue that, the sword shall not depart from you. So the Lord continues to say that. Also about the past, future, and present, if you'll go to, uh, let's see, I think it's Romans chapter 3. Let's see. Let me put my glasses on. Yeah, Romans chapter 3. Yeah, chapter, verse 25. We'll start at verse 24. Being, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the, for the remission of sins that are... Can you read that? What's that say? That are what? Past. Not future. You're not being forgiven for your future sins. If you sin in the future, you better, you better ask God to forgive you and confess it and get right with God. But you're, not, you're, sin, you're forgiven for your past sins. That's a lie from the enemy to tell you you're forgiven for your future. Because then what's the trick of the enemy to, God to try to get you not to repent of it, not to make things right, and end up in hell? You're forgiven for your past sins. It also says this in the book of Ephesians. Before we close out, anybody have any comments? Or we get, we're going to we get ready to close out. Anybody have anything else they'd like to say or something they don't understand? Ephesians chapter uh, 3, verse uh, 25. How about over there, uh, David, Chris, uh, any of you guys, uh, Joel, anyone have something they want to comment? Uh, 
before we close out? Chapter 325, that's going to go to 21. Romans 325. Huh? Romans 325. Okay, you said it's also in Ephesians. Yeah, what's that scripture in Ephesians? 1-7. Uh, 1-7, uh, about uh, past sin? Yeah, Ephesians 1-7. But have a good time tonight. Yep. Enjoy the word. Yep. Praise the Lord. Get enough word? That way y'all can't blame it on me because I just took it out of the Bible. <laughs>